are some things we do not count. Leaves on trees, hairs on spiders' legs, tufts on a mossy carpet. But then there are those other things we do count. Welcome, dear listener, to the 300th episode of The Nature of Phenology, where we share the cycles and seasons of the outdoors. I'm your host, Hazel Stark. When we first started writing The Nature of Phenology, many people asked us if there were really enough seasonal nature topics to keep this show going weekly for very long. Most people think of the obvious phenology signs, like the date of peak foliage color, the first snowfall, the first dandelion blooming, or when Canada geese arrive. That didn't seem like enough to base a weekly show on to some. But if you regularly tune into the nature of phenology, you have surely realized that the signs of the changing season are everywhere, always, and it's just a matter of tuning into your observation skills that allows you to recognize subtle signs as something much more obvious. Yet somehow, despite now being 300 unique episodes in, we had yet to cover one of the most familiar signs of early fall and the supposed oracle of autumn, until today, the woolly bear caterpillar. Hopefully at this point in the fall, you've noticed that late summer into early fall is such a time for caterpillars as they ready themselves for whatever each species' particular winter adaptation is. Woolly bears are easy to recognize due to their rusty brown middles and black ends. They also look particularly fluffy, but not in the crazy clown-like way of tussock moth caterpillars. Woolly bear coloration and texture serve as less of a warning and, to most kids I know anyway, more of an invitation. This time of year, your chances of seeing a woolly bear caterpillar as you travel outdoors are pretty high. They are on the move in order to find a spot to spend the winter as caterpillars, perhaps under a log on the ground or behind bark on a tree. You might expect that their wooliness helps keep them warm through a northern winter, but in fact, those hairs, called setae, help them freeze safely. Freezing solid is risky business, as anyone who has put a closed glass jar full of liquid in the freezer knows. As liquids freeze, they expand, and if they're contained within something like a cell wall, they'll burst out of that container, compromising the functioning of the cell. Once the woolly bear caterpillar has found a protected spot to spend the winter, it starts creating glycerol, essentially antifreeze, inside their cells. The extra fluff helps them cool more slowly until they are frozen solid, but for the interior of their antifreeze-filled cells. These caterpillars have been known to survive temperatures down to negative 90 degrees Fahrenheit and several months frozen inside an ice cube. Now, you may have heard some folklore about woolly bear caterpillars predicting the severity of winter. If their rusty middles are wide, it is said to predict a mild winter. The more black on either end, the more severe the winter. Is there any truth to this? Back in the 1940s, the insect curator for the Natural History Museum in New York, Dr. Curran, took his wife on a little road trip to collect as many woolly bears as they could find to see if they could prove this piece of folklore. After eight years of research, Curran found a weak correlation based on too small a sample size to be predictive, but he and his friends did continue to have an annual trip to go find and appreciate woolly bears nonetheless. Something that does correlate with woolly bear coloring and size are the conditions of the previous season. The better the growing season and earlier the spring, the bigger and rustier the caterpillars become. So the next time you're outside, or even driving down the road, 
you could be on the lookout for woolly bear caterpillars on the hunt for a protected spot to spend the winter. Next year, these caterpillars will transform into pale, spotted, and dainty Isabella tiger moths. This species is a wonderful reminder not only of the importance of leaving fallen logs and leaves on the ground to provide winter homes for insects, but also of our innate desire to notice and make connections with the other critters that also call this planet home. You can find a link to the transcript of this 300th episode, photos, information about podcasting, and our previous 299 episodes by visiting archives.weru.org. Thanks for listening, and please join us next week for another dive into the nature of phonology.